Yo, this is your boy Gallagher, and welcome to Common Conversations, the move forward. Yes, by now you know we have this new concept called A New Hope. And I'm here with Missy, and we're about hey to friends. get it in. I love the hey friends. Doesn't that just make you feel good, y'all? It's like this giggle, just like I get goosebumps. It's a, <laughs> yeah, let's go. I'm gonna find a way to use that hey friends in a bunch of other spaces. But welcome back to the podcast. So, I mean, at this point, we've talked about a little bit of everything. And if you're accustomed to talking or hearing our podcast, you know that nothing is unavailable. Right, we talk about everything, and so today we're going to have. I, I, I think I always say an amazing conversation because I think our conversations are always amazing. Um, but we are going to have a conversation I think is unique to my space, um, and so I, I, I want it. I kind of want to blurt it out because I don't have this conversation often, and and so I'm I'm uniquely excited. Yay! Right, and so I'm I'm excited to have our guest here, and that he's going to share this world that we're going to jump into, but. Missy is going to grab the bull by the horns. Yeah, I am. I am. Um, and it's funny that you say that. So I feel like this is a conversation that I get to have a lot, but I've never been able to have this conversation specifically with my friend, Josh. So we're going to speak with Josh Kornberg. And uh, I've got I've known Josh since he was in high school. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's forever. I, well, at least 16 years. I have pictures of you holding my oldest child <laughs> and she's about to turn 17. So it's been a minute. So this is another conversation with two old people. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> We're really just focused on the oldness of I, I the called space. one of our last guests old. And I, I knew her for, we've known each other for a really long time. And then I thought about it after I said it, I was like, that was kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, that also outs me that I've known Josh since he was in high school and I had a child at that time. So <laughs> if Josh is old, then I don't even want to think about what that means I am. I would dare not use the word ancient. That is not, <laughs> that is not the word I'm going but to But it use. is the word that came to mind. <laughs> Methuselah so. comes to mind. I know, right? That did, Methuselah, love it. Love it. It. It's not an ugly name. Um, so Josh, tell us first of all about who you are right now. Who like what position do you have in the community? Yeah. How can how would people know you? Sure. So uh, my name is Josh Kornberg, and I have the honor of serving as the executive director of the Caesars Foundation of Floyd County. Uh, prior to, well, so a little bit about this role, I, um, it's a, we are a private foundation and we provide grants and scholarships and small business loans all throughout Southern Indiana, but specifically focus on Floyd County. So that's what I have the honor of doing currently. Great team, great board. So love, love the work that I get to do now. Prior to this role, I've been in fund development. So I was the development director at Ivy Tech, the Science Center for a while. I was at Volunteers of America. So I've kind of had my stint in, in uh, non profit. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about who I am and kind of where I'm at right now. Wonderful. I am so excited that you're here, Josh. Yeah. Uh, yay. <laughs> I hope I don't let you guys down. You're not going to, I promise. I promise. We, we do kind of put it, we, yeah, we, my, we my gosh, it way I up there at the top. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. So Josh, what we're here to talk about today, and again, just laying the groundwork for our listeners, as you know, we tell stories and we tell the truth because if we don't operate from a shared understanding, if we tell ourselves fairy tales, then we cannot move forward. We cannot have a new hope when we do not understand what our siblings are experiencing around us. So Josh, what I would love to talk with you about today is as a gay man who grew up in a church, mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about what your perception was or is about what the church is told about the LGBT community at large? Yeah, that's I would be happy to. So maybe even before I jump into that, I think it would be helpful to maybe talk about how I got involved with the church and, and whatnot. So originally from Philadelphia, and uh, my parents got 
got divorced when I was young, and then mom uh, met a fella from good old Southern Indiana. <laughs> and so when we were in middle school, ended up moving out here to uh, Southern Indiana and lived in New Albany. And uh, during that time, there was a big push. I think everyone was just feeling this need, especially within our family, that we needed to try to get some things in alignment. And so, you know, when things are a little chaotic, oftentimes people turn to, to faith, right? And so that's what happened in our family. And so uh, we started going to church as a family. And that was, I'm not going to say short-lived. We did that a little bit here and there, but it wasn't uh, an every week kind of thing. We did it, I don't know, once a month and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. However, during that time, I found community there, right? So I found my own home. I got really involved with my youth group and and whatnot. So as a young man, I found my, my sense of belonging and my sense of uh, connectedness at in the church. And so uh, that's how it all started. You know, fast forward, I don't know, five, 10 years, something like that. Uh, I started actually working at the church. And so throughout high school, I volunteered a lot and I was leading a small uh, children's ministry up in Memphis, Indiana. And so I mean, I was, when I, we talk about like being involved with church, I was involved with church. I was working for a church. I was working for small churches. Then I got into college. I ended up taking an internship in Austin, Texas, and I worked for this mega church. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I was, I was in it to win it. I was meeting all the right people. I was going to conferences and and speaking and serving on panels. Like everyone wanted to hear from like this young mind within children's ministry. So I was really, really involved in, in the local church. I came back to Southern Indiana while I was going to school at IU Southeast. And uh, started working for another pretty large church in the area. And that's really where this um, story starts to unfold. I think, I mean, I knew from a young age that that I was gay. And so that was, I, I think more than anything, I struggled to accept that for myself. And so I just always thought if I suppress that, I can just kind of walk right through that. And so now I have this, this tension within my own life, right? That I built up this, what I thought was going to be my career. And I was going to go into children's ministry and that was going to be my ministry and rah, rah, rah. Now I have to do <laughs> deal with this tension that I am now in a place where I have to decide, am I going to be true to myself or am I going to continue moving forward and, and just can continue to suppress that, you know, suppress who I am. And so um, at that point, I decided I am ready to accept that. And so ended up leaving the church and it, it really caused a lot of internal turmoil. And so that's a little bit about the story and I can get into more fun details later if we want to, but mm-hmm. um, that may, that is probably enough background to, to start that conversation. However, some of the things that I heard as a student and as a young adult that I feel like the church really instilled in me, you know, is that I think it's safe to say that the church in general talks about homosexuality as a sin and all the things that come along with with living a sinful life, right? And so you're in a space, I was in a space where I had to begin to wrap my head around this thing that I know I did not choose for myself. Now I'm being told that me just being a person is is a sin. So like mm-hmm. my existence, mm-hmm. my very life is, is a sin. And so I have to begin to grapple with that. And so if I had to say, what is one of the lies that I think the church tells us is that how we how I exist is is a sin, and that's just not true. So that is a really heavy label to carry upon yourself mm-hmm. while you're growing up, while you're young. And and like I said, I met you um, because you were in leadership mm-hmm. with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, yep. and I was 
helping with that. And I would love to hear how that, when you're hearing those messages about yourself and people telling you who you are, how did that feel? And also, how were you able to tell yourself a different story? So I, I think there are two things that that took place here. I think the first part is I always, I, I just never acknowledged that, right? Like I just never acknowledged being gay. And so if I never acknowledged it, I didn't have to deal with the the label that came along with it. So if I just thought if I just could suppress it, that would be good enough for me. It wasn't until I got older, I wish I could tell you when it was, it was, there was a very specific couple of years um, in my early 20s where I started to unpack this and really try to understand where I was at. And I always said to my Myself, that I am a very sensible individual. I am a mindful individual. I'm going to make decisions that are thought out and that are uh, respectful of myself and of others. And I always have said that about myself. And so to counteract some of these things that I heard, like I, I made this choice to be gay, I, I then could say to myself, if I am such a reasonable person, why would I have ever chosen this for mm. myself? Like I would never wake, like no person would ever wake up in the morning and say, you know what I want to do today? I want to really screw my life today. Like, <laughs> exactly. that's just not what we do. So like, if I was going to choose to be gay or choose anything for myself, the much easier thing for me to do was to wake up and say, I think I'm going to be straight. Like, if yes. this was a choice, I would have made a different choice. Like, mm-hmm. I have not gone down this road because I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much fun and I want to get ridiculed and I want to be, I don't want to feel bad and I want to do all these things different. Like, no one does that. I'm very proud of who I am. But if I could, if I had to make this choice for myself, I would have made a very different choice because there's a much easier way to have gone and this would not have been it. Right, right. So tell us if you're comfortable in that journey when you did admit the truth to yourself and mm-hmm. then to others, what did that look like? What what shape did that take? Yeah, so um, <laughs> this was an interesting moment. So I actually did not make that decision by myself. Actually, that someone else did that for me. Uh, so um, when I was an undergrad, I was uh, involved with an organization and let's see, without going into all the all the fun details of it. I I was quietly dating another person that was in the group. We ended up having a an issue, and so rather than dealing with that like adults, uh, which I thought we we were, he chose to out me to my family, and that was an incredibly unfortunate situation. I was um, on vacation in Florida and I will never forget the call I got from my mom and uh, I was sitting in the condo and uh, we, my buddy and I had just come back up from the beach and she had been calling me. I left my phone up in the room and um, she's like, Josh, Josh, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? And she's like, I went outside this morning and all over the garage, there were notes that says like, your son's a fag, your son's gay. I mean, it was oh, just Josh. horrendous. And um, I will never forget in that moment that I had to make the choice of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to process it. And like in that moment, I was talking to my mom on the phone and she said, are you okay? And and I just remember the only thing that I could muster up is, would you be okay having a gay son? And like, that was the, that was the thing that popped into my head. It wasn't like, okay, well, I've got a lot of life to, to figure out right now. Right. It was like, are you going to be okay with this? And obviously she said she was, she would love me regardless. And like, that was a great moment for me and a very powerful moment. But in that, that split second, I very much remember like I had to make the decision of things were going to look different from now on because my faith journey and my career at working in a church and my sexuality, like they couldn't coexist, at least at that juncture and at li- in life. And so I remember that moment was really, it was, it was just, it was a, uh, 
it was a moment that I just won't forget. It was a very pivotal moment in in my process. I'm so sorry that that decision was made for you. What did it look like then? Like you said, your career, that trajectory had to change. So how did that happen? Yeah. So, um, I am not one who just like lets life happen. Like life doesn't just Mm -hmm. happen to me. I pretty much like when I made that decision, I think I was in a state of like panic for, I don't know, probably 12 hours, went to sleep crying. I'm sure the person I was with had no idea what was going on. I stepped outside and I was just on the phone for hours at a time calling people, just trying to console myself. And then the next morning, I remember waking up, I was laying in the bed in in the condo that we were staying in. I'm like, all right, well, I've got to get another job because like Uh, I still have bills to pay, right? right? So like life still has to happen. So I remember it was it was maybe a week or two before Christmas when all this happened. Yeah, surprise! It was it was a great Christmas. It's a um, great time in the church <laughs> calendar too. Oh, it was it was oh, it was just there was a lot. But I started applying for substitute teaching jobs. I'm like, I just need something, and mm-hmm. I need to do something fast. So I remember I applied for a substitute teaching job. And I'm like, I'll figure the rest out later. I just need something to pay the bills for right now, right? I was like renting this apartment, and I'm like, got to make some money somehow, right? So uh, I got a call on the way back from Florida and had an interview and ended up substitute teaching. I loved it. And that was how I spent the last semester of my college career. So I, it, my, my final semester as, as a college student, as an undergraduate, I had just come out, not by choice. I was the student body president at IUS yes. and I was a substitute teacher. So that is how I spent my last four months as a student. Let's and go. That yes. was quite the moment. I, I'm curious if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Like, so can I go back? Sure. Ask like a, you ask talked about your mom, but what was your experience with your dad? Yeah. So mom and dad divorced when I was really young. Dad and my stepmom still live in Philadelphia. Very, uh, what I would, I would definitely call them more progressive. Like to them, it was not even an issue. They were, dad and stepmom were super chill. Want They're just wanting to know when they're going to meet a boyfriend, husband. Like they, <laughs> they are ready for that. Yes. Um. Yeah. So that was that side of the family. Mom and my stepdad, mom, I think took it really, I mean, obviously she's my mom, right? Like moms, you love your children. And so mom had a really good process and, and whatnot. At that time, uh, the one thing that if I could beg people that are listening to this, please do not do this to, to folks. My stepdad, I think in, in good faith was trying to help, but he went and shared this information with all of my family. Um, so right before the holidays, like grandparents and aunts and uncles. And so a conversation that I would have liked to have had with all of those individuals to to feel that reaction and to be a part of their process with me, I never got to have. And even to this day, I still have not had many of those conversations. Not because like I couldn't, it's just, it's it's such a non-issue at this point in life and things look so different, you know, 12 years later. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. So that's what happened there. I, again, I, I was sitting, I, I will never forget one morning, they asked if we could go out for breakfast. This was after I came back from Florida and before Christmas. So within that week or so, and we went out for breakfast one morning and I remember sitting there and seeing my mom ask these questions. I mean, cause I said, ask anything you want. Like there's no question that's off, off limits. And she asked me if there's something that she could have done differently. And I hated that for her because she equated me being gay to something that she did as a parent. And I just feel like mm. that was such an unfortunate place for her to be. And I hated that for her. And I don't know if, again, you want to talk about continual lies that we hear within, especially within the faith community. We think if if you're gay or 
you identify in, in a certain way, then it must be because something else happened to you. Nothing happened to me. I had a great childhood. Like right. I had a, a real, like I was, I came from a very, I mean, just to be quite frank, I was a very privileged background. I needed for nothing, wanted for nothing. Like it's not like I had a life and a childhood filled with trauma and just really crazy situation. Like that was not it. And again, if trauma equated to homosexuality, there would be a lot more gay oh, people. So like, many. Right? Story. Like, so many. So, I mean, I had such a normal upbringing. Like, and so to see my mom take on all of this, it almost like was like she was trying to take the weight off of me by saying, oh, could I have done this differently? And and parents or guardians, if you hear this, like the answer is no, like it has nothing to do with you. It's not about something that you've done. It's about a person who is is identifying with how they feel and how they, how they, how they are. Like, it's not about a parent or a guardian. It's about the person. And so it's so tough to, to keep that in, in check. So I hope that answered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's a story. So one of my best friends in high school was gay and the running joke amongst all of us to this day is we knew he was gay before he mm-hmm. probably knew he was gay. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, and I, I haven't kept in touch with him, but I always wondered the reaction his father had. Mm-hmm. And so his dad was just really strong Southern Alabama kind of dude, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I always, I it was just always a thing. But I know when I finally asked him without getting into that story, you know, his, his dad was like he dad was super cool mm-hmm. which surprises us yeah. all and so i always i always wonder about that question when folks do come out and how their family reacts you know i know how i would react and i know i'd have 101 questions because that is not that's right it's 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 not who i am and so it's there's a just curiosity that that comes with it mm-hmm. and sometimes it's healthy and sometimes it's probably not. And so I know your relationships have to be healthy in order to get through that kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious too, like you, you, did you leave the church or did the church leave you yeah, in that sense? So I remember this, I mean, this was such a, I have such a very clear moment for me. And actually, I just actually wrote a little piece about it because I don't want to forget these things that people say to me. And so I literally just wrote this maybe two weeks ago. Um, I told my direct supervisor, who was the children's pastor at the time, and I, yeah, I can say this. He doesn't work anymore. <laughs> uh, he, he didn't want, he was like, you're good. Like, stay here. We need you here. Like, you have too much to offer. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I know that the right thing for me to do is to bow out gracefully. And so because I was finishing up my senior year at that moment, I started looking into grad school. And so I started looking places out of out of town. And so, like, I, I if you would have asked me at that moment, I was going to go to Tennessee State University and get my MPA, love TSU. And, uh, like, that was the plan. And so I took... I, I took the position that the church wasn't doing anything to me. I am taking the position of, I don't want the church to ever have to answer that question. I That's not their responsibility. That's my responsibility to, to find a place where there's alignment. And I knew that there wasn't. And so I took the role in the stance that if this is the case, then I'm going to step away and I'm going to try to do it as gracefully and as quietly as possible. So around that time of year, it's it's like the Super Bowl for church, right? It's yes, it is. Christmas and then it's New Year. And so all of those things. And so for those last couple of weeks, I remember I just kind of quietly packed up my office. I kept doing some writing on the side for them, like just to help them through the end of the year. Um, but that was a 
about all I did. And so after the first of the year, I remember going into the senior pastor's office and we had probably one of the most memorable conversations that I will ever, ever recall. It, it was memorable for two reasons. One was incredibly traumatizing. Second one was incredibly supportive. So the first part of that conversation was, and he, and and I appreciate why he asked this. I think it's a little wackadoo when I think about like the, <laughs> the lies that the truth says about, or the, the lies that the church shares about our LGBTQ uh, plus community. But he asked me very clearly and without any hesitation, he's like, I'm just going to ask you, did you ever do anything or touch any child or oh, anything Lord like help that? Us. I, and so in my mind in that moment, again, the first part that I learned was that the church equates being gay with being a child predator. Oh, and it's like, so true. And that is a reality that you have to deal with. And it's not true at all, ever. <laughs> no, oh, there is zero. So no correlation. That, there is no correlation there. Oh, yeah. for goodness sake. So that almighty. was the first part. So that was a little disheartening. The second part of that conversation, though, is one that I will always hold on to because I think it's so true and so wise. And at that moment, I said, I'm going to step away. I want the message that goes out to folks to be, I'm stepping away to get ready to go to grad school. And that's what the that's what the message was going to be. We were all very unified in that. So if people ask me, I'm stepping away to go to grad school, ask any staff. I'm stepping away to go to grad school. That was the plan. I thought it would be the most respectful way to to bow out without causing any sort of issue. I could assure them that there was there was not going to be any sort of issue that was going to pop up. But uh, so there's that. But in that conversation, he looked at me and he said, "Josh, I hope that during this next season of your life, as you're sifting through all of this, which was a lot, he said, I hope you just take some time, like take time for yourself." take time to process, take the time that you need to heal. And that was probably the best advice that I think anyone's ever given me. Like, yes. While so simple, it was so profound in that moment of such uncertainty, just taking time to heal and taking time to process. Like we oftentimes just don't allow ourselves the freedom to press the pause button very long. But he reminded me of that, and that was exactly what I needed in that moment. That is truly beautiful. Not that I'm super excited to bring up trauma and triggers for sure, you. Sure, sure. <laughs> but when you started to live openly and mm -hmm. live a as the human being that you were created to be, mm -hmm. how did that affect you um, in the community? Again, because you know this is a small town. Yeah, yeah. So good. So here's the next phase of that story. I didn't end up leaving to go to, to Nashville. I stayed here in the area because my thought was I would only go to Nashville if I could get a job down there and then I would go and do school at night. I looked, I mean, my goodness, I wanted to get out of this area mm -hmm. like no one else's business. However, that was just not the not the cards I were I was dealt. So I ended up staying in the area and getting a job in Louisville. And so I moved over to a condo in Louisville. And uh, those first couple of years after I had really accepted who I was and, and came out, it was pretty quiet. Like I was wasn't really ready to to deal with who I was. I wasn't comfortable with with who I was just yet. I was still trying to deal with all of that. So those first couple of years were really kind of stagnant. Mm -hmm. I didn't date. I I mean it was it was very very quiet. Um, it was just a lot of introspective work and just trying to figure out. Um, what this next phase of life was going to be. But I will tell you that first job that I got out of college, whether someone believes in God or not, like I know it was a truly divine intervention because I left the church six months prior, ended up getting this job in July, August of that year of 2012. And uh, that was at Volunteers of America. Mm -hmm. And Volunteers of America is 
it's actually a church, right? Like it's an actual church and their mission statement is to be a ministry of service. And I thought it was so incredible that at a moment where I felt, I'm not going to say betrayed by the church, but maybe left behind, left out. I now found myself working for an organization that is a church, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but not in the way that we think about a church with having four walls and still doing great work out in the community and making life-changing impact. And that's now the next phase of my journey. And I couldn't have asked for a better place to land at that moment because there was still so much trauma and so much uncertainty that I was dealing with. The fact that I feel like a door opened up and I am now working at a church again, just not what I would consider a church. I I think I saw that my service to the community didn't end under a steeple. It kept going because the people that I was impacting um, was really why I was doing that ministry in the first place. Yes. The Volunteers of America and their work, I I was not aware they are a church. They are. So the fact that they lead by loving and they truly do an incredible job of loving on people, I, I love that that's where you landed. I had no idea, like when I took that job, I had no idea that that's what I was signing up for. I'm just like, well, I'm going to be a volunteer coordinator. And then like, as I start to learn about the organization, I'm like, this is like, you can't, you couldn't have written a better story or a more cohesive story um, to talk about like where I was going to land. Yes. So one of the things that we talk about in this space often is the idea of equity. Mm -hmm. And I also... The, the concepts of freedom and justice come to mind with this story. What, in what moments do you think and how do you think that someone could bring equity? Like I'm thinking about your story. Mm-hmm. How can we bring equity? How can we truly love? If we say we love our neighbors, mm-hmm. how do we truly love every member of our community mm-hmm. and bring freedom to people of faith mm-hmm. who are L- part of the LGBT plus community? Yeah, that's... um. I will share from, again, I can only speak from one perspective, and I am still very involved in my faith and in my faith community. Like, that is still very much a part of who I am. And so it's not like I, so if someone's listening to this, not like I didn't walk away from that part of who I am. It's still a very instrumental part of my life. Um, if I was to encourage someone from a faith community that is struggling with this area, and maybe not identifying as gay, but maybe how they accept and how they might um present a little differently or how they might be more welcoming to to members of the LGBTQ community. A couple things that I, I might recommend. One, I, I would just say to educate yourself. That's the first part. I think people are so scared of individuals from, from the gay community because there is this untruth that exists. And this is probably the, the strongest that I hear from the faith community is that being gay equates to um, pedophilia. Oh. And like that is such a strong feeling in the faith community that if you hear nothing else from this, like fight that, like that, yes. there is there is no grounds for any of of that sort of behavior. Say whatever you want about sin or not, but if if as a church and as a group of believers, we can say this isn't this isn't the same, right? A gay person does not equate to pedophilia. I am not a pedophile because I am gay. Like that, oh, no, it doesn't no. work that way. And so if we're just thinking about like what things can people of faith do right now in their own faith community, that would be the first part. The second part is I will also challenge people to get to know folks within their 
own faith community, I can guarantee you, regardless of which uh, congregation or group you're a part of, there is someone who identifies as gay within your community. Get to know them because it's so hard to, to hold a grudge against somebody for being a certain way when you actually get to know them. Yes. And that's a reason that I feel like this is so important for me to, to share, right? Because as a gay man, I'm in a rather predominant role in the community. It's really hard to be anti-Josh, right? Like when people know it truly me. truly is. If, I mean, if you all knew Josh, you would love Josh immediately. <laughs> and I'm not even saying that like because I think I'm a great person. That's not even it. Like, but when you know a person, it's so much harder. Yes to hate them we find this this layer of of distrust and this layer of um hatred built within our within ourselves and within our community out of a place that we just are are assuming and presuming that we know about this person but get to know the people who identify in a specific way not because they identify as gay but like get to know who they are as a person and get to know them as an individual because there's a lot more to me and to every other gay person than just being gay like I am not a a gay like I'm just not a gay like that's not who I am I am so much more than that like I am a person and I have likes and hobbies and things that I like to do on the weekends like me being gay is not all who I am there's so much more um and obviously I don't want to decenter Josh in this space but I do want to point out that we are lucky enough to have some churches in this community Mm -hmm. that are doing an incredible job of loving everyone but um, in Southern Indiana, I'm thinking of St. Mark's mm-hmm. um, in Louisville. And I mean, full disclosure and transparency, I'm a deacon <laughs> at Highland Baptist Church, but we are a fully inclusive and welcoming space. Um, our children, our youth group, completely safe and that yeah that that is our half of our deacons are gay so there are places mm-hmm. um, when I say the church and we speak about the church at large there are places that you can find home and love and welcome and places to heal from the trauma that that you've grown up with so I'll, I'll also share with you like the, my current church that I attend is not what I would consider a gay affirming church however like as a person of faith I very much believe that. What I just said is true. Who I am, I, I am more than just a gay person. And as such, like when I walk into the halls of the church that I attend, like I'm not there because I'm gay. Like I'm there because I am seeking, and I hope that, you know, people of faith can appreciate this. Like I'm there because I'm seeking a deeper relationship with a person who I think created me and gave me life. Like, so I'm not going to walk away from a non affirming church because that's not why I am in church. Like, right, I didn't right. start going to church because. Because I needed a place to find community of fellow gays. Like, that's not why I'm there. And so I think as a church, we have over-sexualized the church more than any other institution oh. in society, period. Like, no other yes. place talks about sex and and gays more than the church. Like, so we true. over-sexualize everything at the church. And it's so true. It, that's not why we're there, though. No, and it's funny opinion. that you say that while a large portion of our congregation is gay, we almost never talk about it. The mm-hmm. thing we do talk about is the trauma that a lot of our members and the people that we love and who worship with us, the trauma That's that right. they carry in and what to do that and how to hold each other's trauma and love on each other while 
you know, while we're healing. And I think that that's such a good point. If you're sure just talking about sex every single week, that's way more than it should be. I mean, like the Bible just doesn't touch on it that much. That's Bless. Right. Bless. <laughs> so Josh, I'm, yeah. I'm curious, you yeah. know, I, I, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, United Methodist, AME, spent some time in a Baptist church. My mom was Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, You've done it all. It's like a buffet of religion. <laughs> absolutely. And so, and I've heard, so, you know, you, you get, yeah, you get the buffet of stories, right? And trauma um, and stigma. And, and so I'm, I'm curious too, if you would share, you know, how did you, how do you, how did you, or are you still, still reconciling many of the lessons that come out of mm-hmm. church leadership as it, as homosexuality being a sin mm-hmm. or, you know, homosexuals are predators? How do you, how do you reconcile that? Yeah. So this takes me back to when I lived over in, in Louisville, I, um, I was attending this church and they were looking for a children's pastor at that time. And clearly I had had years of experience in this type of work. And so I went to the senior pastor. I said, Hey, I don't know. I am not looking to do this full time, but if you need someone on an, you know, on an interim basis, like I'll help through this period. And so I told him a little bit about my history. He said, well, so why did you leave? And I told him I came out and this and that. And then he told me again, one of those moments that will just be seared in my brain forever. He told me that at that church, there are three different levels of engagement. The first one, behind the scenes, running the soundboard, making breakfast on Sunday mornings for the congregation. The second one would be like on the stage, leading worship, um, leading a Bible study, just more public facing. And then the third level would be actually teaching. And he said, I think with where you're at, we can probably get you in at the first level. (laughs) And so so I could have made scrambled eggs. I mean, that would have been good. Now, so I say that to, to kind of kind of set a a little bit of a a groundwork to that, to your next question. We go, so how do I reconcile with that trauma? And it's the fact that I now have to see my relationship with the church, probably more from a one-way street. I used to think and used to engage the church very much in a two-way relationship where I would give of myself and I would allow myself to serve and, and to be very in, involved and engaged with my church. I now find myself, so how do I deal with that? I think it's through this second part, is now my relationship with my church is very one way. It's very it's very much where I receive, and I take that as a part of, this is what I need to grow in a personal relationship. I don't really need all the community side of that, and so I don't go to church where a lot of folks go to church looking for community. I'm not really seeking that. I feel like I have a really strong support system outside of the walls of the church and whether that's right or wrong and to be determined or you know <laughs> that's for me to decide and right now I'm I'm good with how it's working I've got my own supports I've got people who love me and so when I go into church it's very much I'm going to take what I need from this get filled up give myself that energy that I need and if there's an opportunity for me to do good and on some occasions I'll I'll engage like I'll participate in you know this kind of drive or you need me to bring in this or I can serve in this very minimal capacity. I'll do those things, but not really. And and I'm okay with that. I've, I've come to a spot where I'm like, I'm, I'm good with that. And I, I know that my community of support is outside of the walls of the church. Man, that's a good level of strength. But thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, because church hurt comes from a lot of different places right. and, and we react individually toward whatever that 
is mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Well, I can not not being gay, but I can imagine the church issues and being a part of that. And I love the fact that I left the church, right? And so mine comes from spousal abuse and, and that relationship. And it took years for me to go back to even see people yeah. in that space differently. I love the fact that you said I can stay there, get what I need out of it, and then move on. And, and you even built your own community that supports you. And I, I think that, that man, that in, in itself is unique. Because I don't know when we talk about, I mean, this conversation is is a little different, but it's it's not much. And it's just, we talk about systems and the failure of systems, um, where we are in our society and the norms that we exist in that no longer, actually no longer, and sometimes never served us mm-hmm. as individuals mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in the get-go. Um, and that is, that is a hell of a point, is to build community and to build systems that actually support you, man, brother. I appreciate you. Well... I appreciate you saying that. And, and, and I really do mean this. Like I I am, I feel like if someone was to ask me like, how is your spiritual life now? I would say it's stronger now than I feel like it's ever been because I'm more certain of things that I've ever been before. Like in the past, I've always been questioning myself. Like, can I exist in this space and can I exist in that space? And my only answer to that is like, like for people who are struggling with this acceptance of like, can I be gay and and have a have some sort of faith like can that exist and my answer is like absolutely they can and the reason that they can is because every day like i wake up asking myself like what is the next thing that i can do right now today like it comes very much from like an aa model but like when i think about it like in my relation my personal faith relationship like what's the next thing that i can do right now to make my relationship better with my creator and my community and if i can do that next thing to who cares what people think about me within the confines of a church? Like, that doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. So, like, what's the thing? How am I going to continue to take one further step forward today? How am I going to make the world a little bit better today than it was yesterday? And if every person, regardless of faith, doesn't wake up thinking that way, like, that perhaps should be a, a... something that we all strive for. Like, what's that one thing that I can do today to make our collective community, our world, a better place to be? Like, that's what faith is about. Like, that's what I get jazzed up about. When I go into church, it's not like I'm looking for these things to to give me all this life guidance. It's it's to get re-energized and it's to get reconnected with myself and to give myself an opportunity to reconnect with the one who I believe uh, made me perfectly how I am. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't need all the other stuff. Like, my goal for today Today is to leave things better than they were yesterday. And like, if that's not the core of faith, I don't know what it is. So friend, I I want to say that I believe that every day you make the world a better place, but today you added to your community by having this conversation. So, so pleased to do. And thanks for uh, and letting me share some of the story. Yes, I am so excited. And thank you so much. And thank you for making yourself vulnerable and telling, the tr- telling your truths, but also your growth because somebody is listening and someone needs to hear, this can be my path and I don't have to live in a space that I'm not fully myself or fully actualized and I can be successful. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you for for inviting me today. Anytime. You can come back anytime. Yo, this is Common Conversation. This is Gelly Gale and this is... This is Missy. Yo, and this is The Move Forward, A New Hope. Um, We hope that you picked us up on all our podcast channels um, and come check us out as we get ready to do some of these live stream live panel discussions where we're going to tackle the same topics and 
really start talking about how we have these conversations. They're not always going to be comfortable um, and they're not always going to be as easy as Josh made disappear. Um, <laughs> I'm just because, you know, if you don't hear it, he has a, he has a long journey um, of reconciling the people that has been in his life, probably had to rebuild relationships. And we're all going to have to do that along this journey. So, yo, check us out. Come on through. This is Common Conversations. Let's get it. Let's go. We love you. Peace, love, and hair grease. Bye, friends. Bye.